How do you make it easy for your sellers to connect? How do you make sure that the inventory is accurate and live? How do you make it so that when a retailer or stockist receives the order, that they can just seamlessly process it, you know, without having necessarily a billion spreadsheets rolling everywhere for everywhere they sell? Mini malls, shopping centers, and large department stores all still exist and remain popular despite their digital counterparts. But online marketplaces are where more and more brands are gathering to not just sell goods, but to get a better 360 view of their customers and gain access to sell products from other big name brands that fit their marketplace niche. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, I explored that idea a bit with Jason Wyatt, the executive chairman at Marketplacer, a business dedicated to creating marketplaces. Imagine being a tea aficionado and saying, you know, I really love these kind of mugs and this kind of tea, and I want this little mixer thing. It's all about curation. And that's what Marketplacer is all about. So we dove into the various ways that Jason has seen marketplaces evolve, especially in recent years. Plus, Jason talks about some of the incredible innovation that he's seen take place thanks to marketplaces, including the birth of Provador, an Australian marketplace for restaurants that was built as a reaction to COVID and reached a $100 million run rate within 12 weeks. Yes, 100 million within 12 weeks. That's wild. We talked about how the marketplace connections made that possible and how the B2B landscape can be revolutionized thanks to marketplaces. Enjoy this episode. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really wanna know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org and your host of Up Next in Commerce. Today on the show, we have Jason Wyatt, who currently serves as the executive chairman of Marketplacer. Jason, welcome. Hi, Stephanie, and thanks so much for having me on the show today. Thanks for hopping on at 7 a.m. I think you're one of the earliest guests I've talked to over in Australia, so I appreciate you coming on and joining me for a fun chat. Uh, no worries at all. It's, it's just a pleasure to um, be on the show and talk to your community. Cool. So I was hoping we could start back in your way back in the early days when you were 13. Because I saw a fun story about what you were doing back then and a little entrepreneurial spirit that was going on. And I was hoping you can kind of share what you were doing back then so people can get to know you a bit before we dive into Marketplacer. And this is all around a loan that you got from your dad, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, I, I might. Um, I, I was actually, I was a mad sports fan as, um, as the majority of Australians are in this country. And I was 
I was playing tennis at the time, if, if I'm on the right track with this story. And, um, yep. and like we used to, we used to play a lot, um, and pretty competitive. Um, but my brother was a lot better than me, but, um, he always sort of grab onto his heels, but we constantly used to break racket strings. Um, and we, we didn't come from this massive affluent family. We come from a family of just, um, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. So, but that, what he did do is he loaned us the money to buy our own stringing racket. So he just said, if you keep breaking this, these um, strings, well, you got to fix them yourself. And my brother and I took advantage of that situation. We figured we had a, an unfair advantage versus the other tennis players um, within the group. So, uh, and then what we actually did is we turned that into a little tennis racket stringing business. So at the age of sort of 13 or 14, we're making a hundred bucks a racket you know, um, stringing out sort of four rackets a night and we had a little good business going on. So I suppose the entrepreneurial spirit sort of started at a very, very young age where we had a problem to solve and then we solved it for other people. I love that. Yeah, it, it definitely um, rang close to home because I was out in my neighbor's yard raking, weeding, doing anything I could, just earn like $5 here and there. And I love hearing about how other people kind of, you know, had that itch early on too and seeing where, you know, what it turned into later on in life. So I'd love to jump into Marketplacer a bit and hear what is it, um, when did you create it, and what are you guys up to today? Yeah, Marketplace is probably the most fascinating business that I've ever been associated with because it enables so much global connection and enables people and businesses all over the world to, to sell things they don't own and to really supercharge commerce. And the story started back when my co-founder and I, Sam Salter, we just had a simple idea um, 13 years ago to make it easier for people to buy and sell bicycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and we created a business called Bike Exchange. And, and think of um, cars.com for bikes. Okay. Um, so you, you're buying a new bike and you want to see everything in one single destination or you're selling your bike and you want to sell it to a community that's a trusted community, has a sense of belonging behind it. And we created um, Bike Exchange. But in doing that, you know, we had some really, really big, tough entrepreneurial problems to solve. You know, we had to come up with a sales and marketing plan. We had to come up with a customer success program. But most importantly, the technology never existed. So we not only had to be great salespeople, not only uh, great customer focused, but we had to become technologists at the same time. And we just thought, you know, in everything in creating a business, in creating a marketplace on a global scale, it's a problem that we could help other entrepreneurs or other businesses now actually um, start to use a platform to enable them to be able to create it. So the story was born out of solving our own problem, out of eating our own dog food in a technology term. But now, you know, we help people all over the world in 10 countries solve um, that marketplace journey of really just making it easy to connect a customer and community to make it easier for them to sell things they don't own and to supercharge commerce. And I'm sure we're going to unpick what that means in a lot more depth over the next yeah. um, over the next hour or so. Yes, that's awesome. So, I mean, what's wild to me is that, you know, building a marketplace is notoriously like the hardest thing you can do in commerce. Everyone struggles with supply side, demand side, you know, how to build which one first. And you're not only doing it once, you're like replicating it, using your software and doing it with multiple, you know, industries. So how do you even go about approaching it, especially if it's a new marketplace, like you had your bike one. I know earlier you were talking about um, meal delivery from restaurants. How do you even think about building a new marketplace and solving for both sides of the market? It's a, it's a really good question because um, 
we always identify what we consider to be an unfair advantage when, help, when we help our clients and customers you know, really figure out whether it's a worthwhile um, strategic project for them because it's a strategic project to go through you know, that marketplace journey. That, that, the unfair advantage has really been always anchored around two core elements. The first being an existing community or audience or customer base that you know they want to buy more things from you or you know you can connect them up in a single um, destination to improve that customer experience in there. And the second is, is more often than not the ability um, to have an in-depth knowledge of the supply base, a connectivity into that supply base and product base so you can actually um, you know, really exploit the now and explore the future around connecting those two sides of those marketplace journeys. And the evolution and the story of a marketplace has really evolved over time too, from a humble beginnings of a, a bike exchange um, where we first started, it's now in 10 countries and we're out around the world and listed on the Australian Stock Exchange in January of this year. Wow, congrats. To, yeah, thank you. It's always an awesome team effort by the team. Um, to um, really now large um, retailers and brands and, and all types of traditional types of business saying, hey, I've actually got one or, a, or probably two of those unfair advantages and how can I make it easier for me to grow and drive growth within my existing customer base without the limits of capital, um, without the limits of actually producing all of the product, but enhancing my customer experience along the way. So how do you figure out I mean, how I'm envisioning is that you would probably have like a lead brand who's like, you know, for the bike one or for, you know, the meal delivery one, you'd have to have kind of like a lead person who's owning that marketplace. And then they're onboarding other brands as well. And other customers. Is that how I'm thinking about it? Like, I can't imagine having maybe like 20 bike exchanges where it's like every bike company is like, well, I want my own marketplace and I want mine. It seems like once you have one, it's probably good enough and you have to be a part of that one. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, really good question. So, um, there's different types of marketplaces, but the evolution that is really happening at the moment is, is take, say, take SurfStitch, for example. SurfStitch is actually a Commerce Cloud customer. Mm-hmm. They're a pure play surfwear brand. They sell hard goods, um, you know, soft goods and clothing and um, fast fashion around it. But they've got this community, uh, this tribal community of surfers. And a really successful business, great growth, um, really, really well leveraged on a commerce cloud stack. But when they looked at their business and they looked at their strategic path, they're constrained by warehouses, they're constrained by the capital. But they thought that, they had in the back of their mind that they thought that if we could have the full range of surf, surfboards instead of only taking 20% of the range of surfboards in all sizes by connecting up to the wholesaler warehouses. Um, and then... To unpick that to the next layer, when you think about it, you know, a surfer is quite a, a soulful person. You know, they love the outdoors. And are they are they only surfing or are they going hiking on the weekend? Are they exploring the outdoors as well? But I don't want to I don't want to put hiking gear in my warehouse. That's mm-hmm. too risky. But geez, I could go and connect up to Patagonia to take a full range extension from Patagonia without owning the inventory. So by taking a marketplace strategy or Really a growth strategy. What they, were, what they were really able to do is make it easy for them to connect up to a supplier base to improve their customer experience and really enhance that 360 view of what that customer is trying to do, not only from a data perspective, but a product and an experience perspective. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot more sense now. And it also just seems like 
the role of curation is so important and whoever's curating the best products and not just, you know, throwing like a thousand things into one marketplace, really thinking, like you said, of like, okay, you might be hiking, but you're probably not mm, cooking too. Like, I'm not going to put cookware in my marketplace with Patagonia stuff and surfboards. It seems like curation is huge when it comes to that. And also knowing what's trending and what, you know, their customers will like is a big part of it. Yeah, but it also enables this strategy, the ability to fail faster than there as well. So if you put a, a camping stove on there or a shower um, after you go for a surf to you know to clean yourself off, you haven't bought it. You've ha- you've had a you've had a go at growing in there. It didn't work. The customers didn't like it, so just turn it off. So with marketplace, of what we really focus on as well is a really strong vetting engine for the Salesforce customer and any of our customer community. So that they, you know, it's just not a free for all for all of the products flowing through. So it's that ease of connectivity into the supplier base, and then it's the, the strict controls and measures that you can put in place um, to en- to enable your customer experience within a marketplace strategy, not just the everything for everyone experience. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I mean, I was going to ask when it comes to marketplaces, like how do you guys think about? marketplace versus the Amazons and the Ebays and Etsy's of the world that seem like they are kind of creating like custom curated collections in a way too, where, but not as much of a niche level, I would say of like, okay, we're just, you know, we're going to be doing bikes and here's your community and your people. How do you think about, yeah, the, the landscape of marketplaces right now? Yeah, it's a very interesting landscape because there's, it, it's kind of a bit of a cross matrix at the moment, um, Stephanie in that there's um, B to B, B to C, and B to B to C plays mm-hmm. within what we're trying to do. Yeah. And then um, if you take the types of marketplaces the other way, so all three of those really go across all three gamuts. Um, and then if you take the types of marketplaces, you've got the niche and the tribal-based marketplaces. And we put media organisations into that bucket. So if you imagine all of the great magazines, like we power lots of magazine marketplaces where you know, Time and Tide is a good example of a watch marketplace where they were beautiful content. They had the trust within the industry. They had a community of people looking to buy watches, but they they didn't have that connectivity into the supply base, but now they've got it. Another really great example is Fish Brain, which is the world's largest fishing marketplace. Wow, didn't and know that tri- existed. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, not a big fish, I'm not a big fishing person, but think of Strava fishing. Mm-hmm. So think of re- a really, really large. I think they've got over 13 million users within the United States now. They didn't want to, they wanted to enter a commerce play, but they didn't want to own inventory. They didn't have a buyership. They didn't have product developers. It was too difficult to do it. So what they did is they partnered and they connected into the world's, into the world's best fishing suppliers to create a marketplace now that has, has over 60,000 products wow. to sell that the community can just buy it. Is there ever a so chance of them kind that, of getting lost? When I hear like 60,000 products within a fishing marketplace, how do you get found in that big of a marketplace? It's an interesting one. So fishing's probably um, the best industry to do it because what I haven't learned about fishing is there's lots of micro products for the local areas. So mm. there's lots of little lures and lots of little, you know, different, different tackle setups for Got different it. communities and different areas. So there's lots of niche products within the niche. So that one makes a ton of sense to have a really big, broad be- breadth of inventory within that. So if you think of the tribe, the addressable market behind people trying to take the, that convergence of content into commerce and contextual commerce, that space is born from marketplace, isn't it? It's, it's, the, it's affiliate 4.0 where it can connect into the supplier base. Then you look at um, 
brands and retailers and franchise groups and cooperatives, if you actually look at the structure of all of those businesses, so cooperatives and franchises by default are marketplaces. They're a masthead brand. Their third-party inventory is owned by their fran- is owned by their franchisees groups. So what we're finding in this space is we're just increasing the offering that they can have. We connect up the franchisees group into a single destination. For example, actually within Australia, we run the largest tyre um, business called Bob Jane T-Mart. And Bob Jane T-Mart are a really large franchise group. They're a $600 million business. And tyres are a complicated product. They seem simple, but they're incredibly complicated because you've got to match every tyre to every car to every wheel ever made of a soul. But by creating a marketplace strategy within that, they're, they're really famous for solving one problem. We connected up all the franchise groups by, via our marketplace technology. But if you think about it, what they really have is car data and car ownership data. What else could they sell a person with a BMW other than tyres and wheels that could enhance their car driving experience? Um, so you, you'll start to see lots of these franchise groups not only connected and unifying their customer experience, but actually starting to think about how can they enhance their customer experience without that without the cost of capital burden placed amongst their franchisees group or cooperative structures and buying groups are in the same bucket. And then if you think of um, traditional retailers, whether they're a pure play or a bricks and mortar or a blend of both, um, which you know the world is has a blend of both now, mm-hmm. right? There's really there's no real just pure play um, bricks and mortar retailers anymore. So the problem they're trying to solve is exactly that problem we talked through for Surf Stitch. How do they enhance their customer experience in-store or online where they can range extend or category extend um, to, to supercharge their commerce journey um, within that? You know, that last sort of bucket within there is um, that brand or wholesaler journey. You know, the brand and wholesaler journey is a, is a really interesting one because it does really touch on those three sort of core verticals that I said at the start being um, B2C, B2B, and um, B2B to C within that. So the first one's um, pretty obvious from a B2B, from a B2C perspective. If you're a brand and you can see a perfectly complementary product, why would you want them to leave your platform to buy it from another platform? Why wouldn't you just connect it up to enhance your customer experience? So if you sell shoes, for example, I'm going to dumb it down, but if you sold shoes, how could you connect up with a sock company that had the best brand to associate the shoes with the socks without actually owning all of those inventory behind it. And we've seen lots of great examples um, of that. Um, we actually power the, the Nokia um, marketplace. Oh. Um, so um, you think of you buy the phone, what other connected product can you put in mm-hmm. um, within, within that connected ecosystem? Um, you know, and um, so you know, Google are a partner of um, Nokia phones globally now. Um, and that, you know, all of the Google products are going to be available on the Nokia marketplace. So you can start to see this connectivity piece um, really, really start, you know, drive home within that. And then from a B to B to C perspective is how do you not cut out your stockists? How do you find a way as a brand or a distributor in a modern world not to cut them out? You know, whether it's a marketplace, a unified experience, but what a marketplace platform can do is connected all up. So you can cut your retailer into this third-party product sales, but without, without actually going against your traditional business model. And we're seeing a fair bit of that momentum behind it um, as well. And then the growth space, and it's going to be really interesting, right? Because I think that the world is saying how, from a B2B perspective, from a traditional brand, when you're selling to retailers, 
when you're you know consolidating a B2B industry, you know, how does a marketplace make sense? There's Alibaba and then there's not much, right? The unfair advantages for businesses is pretty similar than, than it is to a B2C perspective. So their unfair advantage is really anchored around um, their existing stockers or retailer base that they sell into. They've got a great community of um, sales representatives or sellers on the floor who are going around and servicing them. How can they then connect up to other suppliers um, in, other, in, in, in other industries that could actually sell to that community and we make it easy to do that? And, and there's, a, there's a really sort of large um, demand at the moment behind B2B marketplaces as well. So it's an interesting thing to call all these things marketplaces. Mm-hmm. You probably, they're not all marketplaces, but what we're doing is we're connecting the world to enable supercharged commerce. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine, who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. I want to hear a little bit about like the revenue numbers when brands, you know, embark on this marketplace journey. What are some stories um, when a new company, you know, starts utilizing your guys' tech? Yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting um, story. So um, and journey behind it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, during during COVID, you know, the world's a different place, and we all know that. And there's there's not not much point, you know, delving into what's next after COVID. I think everybody's thinking about what's next after COVID. Yes. But what we hundred, what we fundamentally know today, it's, it's a different world. It's a different world than it was in the past, and that. The power of connection during COVID in a digital, in, in a digital sense, um, you know, drove some of the greatest innovation stories that I've seen um, for some time. And I'll, I'll share the um, the story um, of Providor. So in Australia, this this is a case study um, we rolled out nearly exactly this week last year um, to the day. And a, a great friend of mine, but a celebrity chef, um, Shane Delia. Um, so he owns some of the best restaurants in Melbourne. He's got cooking shows on TV and, you know, big personality, vibrant, enthusiastic, had 150 staff behind his restaurant business, had four restaurants, one at the airport, the institution restaurants. Um, you know, think of, you know, uh, Mamacito in New York. Or, you know, these are like famous yeah. um, restaurants um, within this country. And, and he just said, Jace, I'm stuffed. I, I've got all of these people i've got food i'm just throwing into the bin mm-hmm. i've got leases that i've got to pay but i've got this one glimmer of hope i've just done a trial where you know i'm doing ready ready sort of made pre-cut food where the customer just has to finish it off at home so it's likely getting a restaurant quality the magic of a restaurant quality experience in their home 
And he, and he said, well, I've done it for a couple of weeks and I'm selling like five to $6,000 a day. And I said, well, t- talk me through the problems that you've solved. And he said, well, you know, we've solved this packaging, right? Like we've figured out how to get it the customers with the boxes. He did this in a week, in a week, like extraordinary innovation. Wow. So he's, you know, he sourced the products, the, the, the line boxes. He's got the dry ice. Um, he's fixed the packaging for this to the tune where he's sort of doing, you know, that, those types of volumes in a, in a small way. And I said, well, so how are you delivering them? He said, well, I've got no choice. I'm, I'm deli- like my chefs are preparing it. My, my chefs are driving at 35K around Melbourne to, to drop it off at people's doorsteps at 4 a.m. in the morning. Nice. And, and I said, well, you've probably got to solve your logistics problem in a, in a, real, in a real quick way, but there's something in this, right, because there's a demand. You're not doing any marketing. Your unfair advantage is you I call him a B-grader um, celebrity. He probably thinks he's an A-grader. But he's got this celebrity audience um, that he can tap into. Mm-hmm. He's got trust within the community. The other chefs would trust him. He's not. He's never going to do anything wrong by that industry or community. And customers just loved it. So if we could solve a couple of problems, i.e., how do we make it easy for all restaurants to sell in the same way and create a marketplace around it? But then how can we make it easy for um, people to get the delivery experience behind it? I think you've got the bones of a really good business. So Shane's a pretty good hustler. And five weeks later, um, we pulled every string in the world um, to get um, Provador Live, um, where the best restaurants within the Melbourne CBD were selling to a 35-kilometre radius um, of, the Melbourne, of, that, of the Melbourne CBD. You could get it delivered in two delivery slots, uh, AM and PM, um, they would cross stock. The trucks would drive around Melbourne, pick up every every box, cross stock it into a single parcel. So you'd only ever get a single parcel. So you could order from all the restaurants in one. So if you were entertaining your home or just just wanted a release from COVID, or you had a birthday party, or mum and dad couldn't get to the restaurant, then you know you could actually experience it. And after a twelve week period, um, he was on a hundred million dollar run rate. Whoa. Um, solving those what? couple of problems. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> yeah. this was from other restaurants as well that he onboarded onto essentially the marketplace that he created. It started with his restaurant. He brought on others as well. What does the cut look yeah. like for him versus the restaurants that are also selling on the marketplace that he essentially established? Yeah, it was, it was again, really interesting. So Shane took, uh, I think it was 15% um, slice of the pie. So he, he decides actually... or like you decide when you create the marketplace, how much you... Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So it's part. Yeah, it's part of the marketplace. It's part of the marketplace platform when you create a marketplace. We solve all of those commission calculations, and you choose uh, as running that marketplace what each seller gets, and you can change it by product or category, and you, know, you can do really complex commission calculations. But we also manage all of the seller payouts. Mm-hmm. So you know, you nice. imagine that volume in that yeah. period of time. If you're cutting checks, so you're doing individual payments, it's unscalable, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why he had to, besides the fact that that's that's why you needed a marketplace platform to, to scale at that rate. But it just shows you if you can leverage those couple of unfair advantages and pull it together yeah. in a really neat way and solve a problem, how, how big you can get quickly. That's crazy. So it sounds like you kind of want to make sure you have an audience first or partner with someone who does already have, like you said, that tribe who's kind of waiting that you can tap into that. How do you go about even convincing customers to come and buy on a marketplace? Are you doing anything around like exclusivity where it's like if you're selling 
your bikes or your box meals or whatever on Marketplace or you can't also sell, you know, I don't know, on DoorDash. Do you have DoorDash in Australia or something similar? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How do you how do you think about like creating that moat around, you know, the marketplaces they're building up? I think any any business, whether it's a marketplace or not a marketplace, should create a moat. And if yeah. you could get the number one selling product of the world and get it exclusive to your business, whether you own it and send it yourself or whether it comes direct from the supplier, I would 100% recommend that every yeah. single day of the week. So in Shane's situation and in Providor's situation, he solved some pretty big problems. No one else in the world, in my opinion, in a five-week period could have created this marketplace. Yeah, that's wild. And then secondly, he, he partnered exclusively with the logistics company that was an underutilized fruit. You imagine it was called, um, it, it was a fruit delivery business where they were delivering to corporates their fruit boxes and they went from 100% capacity to 0% capacity, but then Shane took them back to 100% capacity. So you've got to, you had to find very innovatively yeah. underutilized, cold, refrigerated delivery network Mm-hmm. Um, in a really short space of time. So it was, um, he, he created a couple of really, really solid moats that enabled it nearly impossible for somebody else to do it in that period. Um, it was just extraordinary. But the, the short answer to your question, I'd always promote a moat. Yeah, so try and make things exclusive if, if possible. What are some of these brands' methods of bringing their customers onto a new platform? Because that does kind of feel like it could be an experience that might cause a bit of friction of like, oh, I'm always used to either just buying directly from your website or just buying from Amazon. What kind of tactics should a brand use if they're trying to convince someone to come and buy on a new platform that maybe they haven't heard of before? Yeah. So um, you're talking from the end consumer experience mm-hmm. when they're buying. From yeah. Them. yeah. It's all around trust in the process. Mm-hmm. In that front end customer experience or in any communication around it, it's about building trust and rapport around building a marketplace community. And there's many techniques you can use around that so some companies choose not to even um, say who the seller is on the marketplace they take a really they take a really hard supplier um, agreement and they say here's your sla surprise if you don't supply under these terms and conditions in these ways then you know we're going to exclude you from our community moving forward Mm. Uh, other marketplaces take the opinion of um, I'll let you rate my supply. I'll let you rate your seller. So it's going to be a customer-led trust build up around it. Um, and then other other marketplaces over time have put their own sort of you know ratings and and and, and experience. The one thing I'll say around um, the customer journey when you don't physically own the product is you've got to be really clever around your communicative style around you know items may not appear in one parcel. Items may be sent at different times. And if you can, you know, if you can bring your customer and community along that journey, they're very attuned to it in this world that you don't get one single parcel from one single vendor every single time and, and boxes can appear on different days. Just as long as the communication strategy around when they're, when they're turning up, I mean, the timelines as a customer is experienced, is, is, is really well handled. I think it's, you know, I think it's a problem that's, that's really well solved in market. Yeah. I mean, yeah, always good to make sure you're doing it in a trustworthy way where your customers are like, of course, I'll go where something's being sold and there's good, you know, curated products there. What are some best practices around developing that community and keeping your community engaged and, you know, making them want to come to your marketplace that you built up? Like what kind of tactics do you see happening behind the scenes that are working? 
Yeah, it's um, we're seeing at a little bit of scale at the moment the loyalty programs being mm-hmm. attached back into the marketplace strategy. So, and and I think it's a space that's going to be really, um, really interesting moving forward. Whether it's loyalty or, or membership economies or subscription economies around it, it's something that's definitely um, an interesting space. So, take um, uh, Myers a another example. Um, within our region, but mine's a really large department. So it's the Macy's of Australia. So it's the number one department store. Yeah, they've had some really challenging times at pre-COVID and um, obviously during COVID. Big box department stores, lots of inventory, really expensive um, leases, and, and they're kind of being picked off from every corner, right? Mm-hmm. But what they did have is they had an incredibly loyal customer base that actually had a brand affiliation with Maya, but most importantly had a really strong brand affiliation with the Maya to loyalty program because it was such a good rewards program. Mm-hmm. So when they launched their marketplace, they actually gave um, the customer base um, the same points that they would earn on Maya across all third-party marketplace products. Oh, wow. And you could use your points to buy from all of the third-party um, products. That's enticing. So Exactly. And, you know, and we want to, I can't say who, but we've won a major global airline at the moment. You know, instead of, um, instead of just being able to book airfares um, using your airline points, now you can buy 40,000 products using your points from a burn perspective from your airline miles. Mm. So I think what you're going to find is this community of sort of, you know, traditional loyalty programs or earn and burn point systems being able to tap in to really broaden their range to become, you know, a really big, meaningful um, marketplace strategy loyalty program. Yeah, that's that's super smart. The one thing that's coming to mind is thinking about like data privacy and like how does the sharing work, especially if you're onboarding other brands onto your platform. I'm guessing I would want access to that customer data. I'd want to be able to talk to them, especially if I'm, you know, shipping something to them or even someone's viewing me as the person that's shipping it to them, even if I'm not really in the back end. Like what does the sharing of the maybe customer information look like in a way that's probably protected and keeps everyone safe. So if you're, say, for example, we're talking to the commerce cloud community. So if you're a commerce cloud customer, you're the merchant of record in that instance, aren't you? So you're always controlling the, the customer record, you're controlling, you're receiving the funds yourself, but you do have to share the, the customer address and you do have to share um, some details about the customer because they're going to receive the item. So, mm-hmm. um, You've really got to make sure your supplier agreements are quite stringent around um, data privacy. And then um, within the marketplace of platform, there's a couple of configuration points where you can mask email address and not mask email address. So there's configuration around sort of customer privacy settings that gets forwarded through um, to that end seller within there as well. What what we actually find is the broader supplier or seller community is unbelievably respectful of the end customer. Because mm-hmm. they're attuned to selling in this methodology now, and they know if they break or breach those privacy laws, or those privacy policies that you set up as a marketplace operator, is that they're going to be cut off and and, and they're going to lose that whole channel. So, you know, we've had we've had basically no problems of that over over the over the journey of marketplaces. So it's it's something it's something that's a very small or minimal risk. Amazing. Let's uh, talk a little bit about ads. And I'm thinking about you have this big marketplace. Maybe if you're the fishing one, you've got 60,000 products. I could see you guys having an entire ad unit or the person who maybe is owning the marketplace starting to create, you know, like a demand side platform when it comes to delivering ads and 
How are you guys approaching that right now with all the brands that you're onboarding? Yeah, it's um, the world of relevant display and um, sponsored content and contextual commerce um, back in, you know, back into sort of the marketplace is a, is a really interesting space because if you can send, if you can not only just send your products to this, to a, to a third party marketplace, but then you can buy specific media around it and launch products within it. Mm-hmm. It's super exciting. So we're actually integrated into Google DMP where, um, and all of those great sort of ad serving systems um, within that. And what you'll find, especially as the world moves into a headless commerce situation, is that the brands can put whatever DMP they want in um, into you know the Commerce Cloud headless stack. So they can be really quite innovative around not only just creating traditional revenue streams for the product they own, not only creating um, you know modern revenue streams in the fact that they can sell things they don't own, but now they can actually turn their traditional retail businesses into a um, into a media businesses as well, which obviously comes at a, a much higher um, a much higher gross margin than than you know physically owning the inventory. Yeah. Oh, any innovative stories that you see happening around the advertising space within Marketplacer, like that brands are maybe trying just new and different things because of the operating model of this new business that they didn't have access to before. The the obvious one that just comes to mind is actually Bike Exchange, right? So Bike Exchange is. It does exactly that every single day of the week. Like it, it connects live into all of the retailers. So as part of the marketplace platform, because some of the problem in the marketplace scenario is how do you make it easy for your sellers to connect? Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that the inventory is accurate and live? How do you make it so that when a retailer or stockist receives the order that they can just seamlessly process it, um, you know, without having, you know, necessarily um, you know a billion spreadsheets rolling everywhere for everywhere they sell. So we solve that in a in a really nice elegant way where if you're on and if you've got an existing POS system, so point of sale system or an existing e-commerce engine, we've built pre-built connectors for the majority of them in the world. So if you're a if you're a bike store selling on bike exchange and you're on light speed and you want to send your inventory into the bike exchange marketplace, it takes minutes what would typically take hours. So why why is this important from a media perspective? Is because then the brands on Bike Exchange are specialized or Trek or any of the big brands when they're launching a new product, they can actually drive the leads into um, stores that have stock available today. Nice. So you can get very clever around your um, your display and media allocation and where you drive the sales to at a physical stockist level within that marketplace strategy, which is pretty cool. That's huge. I just think about how many times <laughs> I try and order stuff from like Home Depot and it takes me mm, like 15 minutes trying to find, you know, what store to even go to, to pick it up. I'm like, why is this so hard? Just don't show it to me if it's not within 20 miles of where I'm at. Exactly. And 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 that sort of relevance post, you know, zip code allocation and inventory allocation is something that comes out. Um, of that marketplace system, but it's it's all structured around live connectivity, live connectivity back into the source seller system. Obviously, you know we have you know, if if a seller wants to connect manually and they've got a few products or they've got a CSV uploader or we've got a great API, but it's this pre-built connector platform that's enabling our marketplaces to scale at a rapid rate. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So, where do you all want to be in the next two to three years? Like, what are you planning and prepping for and building for right now? Other than scaling and IPOing and doing all the fun things like that, 
Yeah, I think what really what really drives us at Marketplace is we just want our customers to grow and to grow in a in a really sustainable way um, where where they can they can enhance their customer experience. You know, we're we're really launched hard within the United States um, um, today. We've announced that um, Salesforce Ventures has actually um, bought a stake in Marketplacer, Amazing. and that enables us. Uh, yeah, we're so humbled by it. It's such a it's such a great experience to deal with that Salesforce community. But what that enables is any commerce cloud customer globally to now sort of really look at Marketplace as the way to significantly grow your business and grow your customer experience within that. It gives us deep access to the Salesforce product team, gives us deep access to the um, implementation partner community. It gives us deep access to um, to the actual Salesforce um, you know, customer success team. So what that um, really enables us to do is, is to help that Salesforce Commerce Cloud community grow and it, you know, you know, connect up to all of these great suppliers, make it easy for you to supercharge that business. And, you know, it's a core focus of ours over the next sort of 12 to 18 months for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, after hearing all this, I'm like, why wouldn't you try this out? Why wouldn't you want to, you know, be a part of a marketplace, start a marketplace, so many opportunities and easy ways to scale that maybe would be hard for, you know, single brands to do on their own. So that's amazing. Congratulations. That's huge. No, thank you so much. And um, yeah, it's a big shout out to how how the Commerce Cloud, Salesforce Commerce Cloud um, leadership are thinking at the moment. And you know, they're really putting that customer lens first and and you're know, trying to grab those trends and 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 you know, build it back within within their community as well. Yeah. It's um it, it takes a little while for you to get your head around it. Um, but when you when you dumb it down um, and you we make it easier for you to sell products that you don't own so you can supercharge commerce and grow. You can start to those those that sort of one line and that sentence can start to really resonate with you. And you know, maybe out of today, you're not thinking, you know, th- this is my path, but it might just get those thought bubbles going to say, hey, yeah, what about this supplier? What about this supplier? And if I only had those products, I'd love to try that one, but I don't want to buy it. It starts to connect it all up. Yep. Yeah. yeah really good way to explain it. All right, well, let's jump over to the lightning round. The lightning round is, of course, brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Commerce Cloud, which they got many shout outs well-deserved throughout this interview. So that is great. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Jason? I am ready. Okay, we'll do the hard one first. What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? I'd like to say the evolution of marketplace. <laughs> That's okay. You do you. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> All right. What's one thing from 2020 that you hope sticks around throughout 2021? The ability to put the customer first and solve problems from a customer lens when there was no other way to do it. And I think that transformative thinking of traditional businesses in in that lens is going to put them in really good light moving forward. We saw the acceleration of five or six years of thinking and thought and decision-making in the space of six weeks mm-hmm. and and just don't let that go. Don't let that go. Let that stick with you forever because I think it's a unique opportunity. Yeah, that's a good one. What's one thing you don't understand today that you wish you did? French. No, <laughs> um, I, I actually don't personally know how to program. I, I've never been a programmer and, and, I'd like, and it's been my advantage because I've never got sucked into it. Mm-hmm. But one day in life, I'd love to actually learn how it all stitches together and works. There you go. Well, that's a good uh, skill to have these days. So 
Let me know if it's hard. I'm guessing it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? It would probably be about um, surfing, to be honest, and it would have to be Kelly Slater. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. And then the last one, um, what's up next on your reading list? It's it's actually uh, interesting because I, I bought it yesterday. I, I, um, I'm actually reading about gut health at the moment and the benefits of gut health. Yep. Um, so I bought the CSIRO gut health book to, to understand, um, you know, how that can have benefits right throughout your life from sleeping patterns to energy to, to, you know, that holistic sort of view that the power of food and what it can do for you or, or can't do for you. Yep. Oh, good one. You can send me a TLDR of like what I should be doing and I'll just listen to you. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it though, Stephanie. This is the problem with reading. You don't always do what you should. We will do it. We will manifest it into our life. We will do it. <laughs> All right, Jason. Well, this interview has been so fun. Really a good time hearing about Marketplacer and where you guys are headed. Thank you for coming on. Where can people find out more about you and Marketplacer? So traditional channels, marketplacer.com um, and uh, Jason Wyatt on LinkedIn and Marketplacer on LinkedIn. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Appreciate it. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.